Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thickland. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Tonight, and we'd like for you to be a part of it. 
Someone asked me a question here most recently. How can you talk about this so often? Well, let me say something. I have a greater question. How can so many remain silent so long? How can one continue to remain silent about issues that affect individuals who are dealing with not only abuse and uh, abandonment, rejection, assault, uh, dealing with issues such as, if you would, isolation and issues such as abuse of any nature, those that feel that they've been manipulated, taken advantage of, those who've been betrayed on many occasions, those who have found themselves in the torment and the turmoil of making decisions because of the fact the person that they love, the trusted, has not only abandoned them, but has uh, has put them in a position of not only vulnerability, but a, the, a position of great compromise. And so when I'm asked the question, how can you go so long? How can you talk about this each and every week? Well, i got news for you. This show is on once a week, but I talk about this subject matter each and every day. And my whole point in talking about it is not just to hear myself talk, but it is to raise the awareness throughout the country, throughout the neighborhood, throughout our, uh, throughout every city, every crevice, every village, every hut, every place that we can. Let's begin to have a dialogue, an open dialogue about the issue of abuse. Let's have an open dialogue about the impact of abuse on any level. Let's have an open dialogue about how much that really impacts our society as a whole. You know, the thing that is so interesting is because of the fact, though well-intentioned and good-intentioned, oftentimes the mainstream media, when it comes to domestic violence and, and, and domestic abuse, oftentimes has really swayed everyone toward thinking one way, one perspective, and thinking somewhat in a vacuum. But the reality is that the impact and the dynamics of domestic violence and abuse, it is so much far-reaching than what we can see. It is more than just the fact of two individuals that are having a dispute. It's more than the fact of one individual being abused by the other, whether physically, mentally, sexually, emotionally, uh, economically. It's more than just that. It is about the far-reaching impact that it has in the lives of not only the victims but those that are connected with the victim, the children, the neighbors, the friends, the parishioners, the coworkers, the, uh, you know, those that come in contact with it, the family members. All of these dynamics are far-reaching inside of that, and yet it's still there is no easy solution. Someone asks, what is the solution? What do we do? How do we change the dynamics? How do we change what's going on? How do we make a difference inside of this? We have to make a difference first and foremost by breaking the silence of abuse. Listen, abuse come on every level and in every form, and we must recognize when abuse hits and raises its head that abuse does not behave itself. It continues to it continues to uh impact from levels that you and I may not ever see immediately. And that's one of the dangers when we begin to talk about even children that are exposed to domestic violence. You know, I've had people who say, well, thank God my kid turned out all right. Thank God they wasn't affected by it. And oftentimes I say, well, I thank God and I praise God with you, but not so quickly. We need to understand that oftentimes there's a sleeping giant that is lying there. The dormancy of what they've been exposed to and the traumatic uh, the tra- traumatic experience that they have witnessed and have encountered, and oftentimes on a continuous basis, is lying dormant. And so, therefore, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder and those symptoms and signs that are oftentimes manifested uh, in their lives through what they do, their interaction with others, the ideal of socialization, their ideas of how do we get along. And I like to stretch this conversation tonight, and I like to invite you to be a part of it tonight by just simply being able to call area code 323-784-7800. Uh, 
9638. That's area code 323-784-9638. Because the dynamic of abuse goes beyond just what you see. It goes beyond the picture of of a black eye, a swollen lip, a broken bones, and broken wrists, and broken uh, arms. and things. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond that because it's also constituted of the mental, the mental capacity, the damage that is done and what is warred and levied against the mind, what is levied against the way one perceives themselves, way the one perceives their life, the one the way one perceives their future. And so that's why when we talk about this issue, it has to be something that's brought up because in one sense, a victim can be victimized over and over again. And yet it's still about proper intervention and proper healing, that same victim could could also begin to exhibit traits of abusing themselves. Hurting people oftentimes hurt people. One of the reasons why we do see such a great, if you would, uh, correlation where there's an existence of domestic violence, there's also a very high uh, existence of child abuse. Now, that child abuse is not always directly from the initial perpetrator to the child. Okay. Oftentimes, that, that child abuse is from the initial is from the, if you would, the initial victim, and then perpetrated to the child. So it's something that we must talk about. It is something that, yes, we know no one is putting up signs. No one is, is readily volunteering and, and disclosing themselves as being victims. But we can we can ill afford to not raise the subject matter and deal with the impact that it has uh, inside of the lives of individuals. How do they see themselves? How often do they blame themselves? What is the guilt and the shame that too often that victims carry along and they even uh, begin to carry it along with inside of shame? And, and why didn't I get out sooner? So they begin to guilt trip themselves. And what we're about tonight, what we're about with hope and healing, is to break that, to break that, to break that bond, to break those things from happening. And what we would like to do is do this. We like to take that conversation to a place where now what we're saying is that let's begin the healing process. Let's begin the healing. Let's begin to heal. Let's begin to uh, the healing. Let's bring about some hope. I had the opportunity this past Saturday uh, to actually be a part of a domestic violence conference uh, that was held uh, locally in the South Florida area. And as a matter of fact, uh, the hosts of that conference was actually uh, called in on last week and had a chance to share with us just a little bit. But what was really great about this particular conference was not only did it get an opportunity to share some of the different faces and the dynamics of abuse, but what was incredibly important there was the fact was the theme. The theme was, listen, it was stop hiding and start healing. Stop hiding and start healing. What was it saying? Stop hiding. The silence. No longer are we hiding. No longer should you have to hide. It is time to raise up. It's time to come forth. It's time to admit. It's time to come forth and say, I'm taking my power back. It's time to come forth and say, I deserve better. It's time to come forth and say that I am better than that. It's time to come forth and just quite frankly say that I am not going to be held hostage and bondage to the things that have happened to me. I am simply better than that. Wow, somebody needs to say that with me right now. Uh, I am better than that. I deserve better than that. And you need to understand something. You also, whether you're listening tonight, whether you are a victim currently and going through, or whether you are at a place where you are now a survivor, you've come out of your situation, or you are now at the place that you are now a victor, that not only have you survived, but now you have begun to access your situation. You begin to grab on to the victory and understanding that who, that 
fact that you did not deserve that abuse. You are not the reason for that abuse, that that abuse was not your destiny. It was not part of your purpose. You must understand that when you become the victor, you understand now that no longer do I have to place myself in that position or be held hostage to that type of abuse. And then the next person I might be talking to is what I like to call the thriver. That's the thriver who now has not only gotten the victory over it, but they're thriving. They're your advocates. They're the ones who's now spreading that message and saying there is no excuse for abuse. And that is why we have to have this dialogue. So tonight, uh, as you're listening tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I am your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight on the Soul of America radio. And listen, I want to say this as I've said so many times. I want to I want to expand this conversation tonight. So tonight I really want your participation. If you like to be uh, like to have a question, you like to have a comment, you like to share in any form tonight inside of this arena, uh, tonight you simply have to dial area code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. And then if you like to have that comment or share, simply hit the number one on your keypad. That's right, the number one on your keypad. It lets our producer know that you desire to have a question or something to say, and we'll get you on the air because we value what you have to say. And so as we uh, continue to talk about this, I want to share a few things with you that is, that is incredibly, that is incredibly important. Because of the fact, so many times when we begin to try to have this conversation, the way that we get people's attention is by the extremism. You know, someone was killed, someone died, someone lost a limb as a result of abuse, and surely those things are there. But what happens to those that are still living, those that are still uh, enduring the pain and the shame that are going through the abuse, and they're constantly living there, and every day of their life is a guessing game. What will happen next? How do I not walk the wrong way? How do I not say the wrong thing? How do I not, you know... Uh, how do I not upset this individual? How do I not do anything that's going to cause the triggers to be triggered? And so that is a place of oppression. That is a place of mental abuse in and of itself. And that is why we must continue to have these conversations around this subject matter. Because until we have these conversations and have some healthy conversation in our community around this, people are going to die every day. We're going to miss. We're going to miss so many that have not only uh, suffered and those that are suffering right in front of us, around us, people that we have failed to recognize and people that we may work with. It may be our neighbors. It could be someone that we live next. It could be someone that we work next door to. It could be someone who's uh, sharing a cubicle or sharing a desk area with us. And so those are things that are very important. And tonight I want to talk about not only uh, uh, the mindset of those that are abused and the, and the ramification as a result of the abuse, but I want to talk about tonight how do we begin to come out of it? How do we bring forth healing? So those of you that are out there, that have been survivors and you've been inside of it, I invite you tonight to be a part of that. And I want to be able to take your call. You're listening right now to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. You're, you're listening to your host, J.R. Thicklin. And right on the other side of the break, I'd like to take your calls. Area code 323-784-9638. That's area code 323-784-9638. That's how you can reach us. Hit the number one on your keypad. Let, let us know that you'd like to have a comment, a question, and be a part of this tonight. I'll see you on the other side of the break. This is Hope and Healing. I turn to hope.
Pelvic Healing, a tradition of wholeness, right here on the one and only Soul of America Radio. We'll be right back. This is the one and only Soul New programming coming up on the Soul of America Radio. Go to soulofamericaradio.com for more information. Hello, this is Tony Starling, founder and CEO of the Soul of America Radio. I wanted to take this time to thank you for your patience as we went through a period of time where we did not broadcast for probably about a month. We had some technical issues that we have since worked out, and now we are ready to bring you the best in Soulful Talk Radio. Tonight's program is J.R. Thicklin, who brings you Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. We have more programming coming up, brand new shows, I promise you that. But you stay tuned right here on the Soul of America Radio. And thank you for all of the wonderful correspondence through cards, emails, and everything else we've received, saying that you want us back. We are back. This is the one and only Soar. And now here's your host, J.R. Stiglin. Jay 
Ficklin. Uh, you can find us there as well on Facebook. And then our newest page that we have there that we're affiliated with is Destiny by Choice uh, 2, a Destiny by Choice Fellowship. That page there is designed to for encouragement, is designed to uh, not only bring forth encouragement through uh, words, through testimonials, through sharing, even sometimes of clips and music, but it's a great place to be, a great place to start your morning, always something inspirational there. Uh, mainly, I want you to know today, it is about bringing hope, and it is about bringing healing today. So once again, if you're listening today, I'd like to invite you in, uh, invite you in to be a part of this call today, Erico 323-784-9638. If you'd like to have a question or a comment, uh, simply uh, share a story. Just simply hit the number one on your keypad that lets our producer know that you want to get on, and we'll bring you on tonight. Now, I want to revisit some things there for those of you that may uh, be listening for the very first time. Uh, this is Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This show is directed and it is uh, dedicated to uh, bringing forth hope and healing to those that have been afflicted and affected by not only uh, abuse, domestic violence, but also abandonment, rejection, isolation, those that have been uh, affected by spiritual abuse, those that have dealt with any form of brokenness in any sense, even loss, maybe a loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of a relationship, never underestimate the the impact of what happens when people have had a loss and a serious loss and the way that loss happen also affect how people respond to their current situation but I definitely tonight I wanted to do something that I think is so incredibly important as we begin to not only talk about this whole issue of the journey to wholeness we want to exactly tonight look at some of these impacts that happens here and it may serve as uh, part of the Feel that will help a person leave an abusive relationship and also to understand the dynamics why a person abused. Understand that in many cases, when we deal with a perpetrator, a perpetrator oftentimes have grown up in abusive homes. They have seen these type of things happen in their homes. They have seen their father perhaps abuse their mother or their grandfather, their uh, grandmother, or uh, the male figure, could be mom's boyfriend, uh, uh, in the home bring about abuse. And as a result, these things are learned. One of the things that we talk about is that no one is inherently born uh, being an abuser. However, what we do know is this, is that a person can be exposed to domestic violence and abuse, and therefore it's almost as an inheritance that is passed down because this is what we have seen as the norm. And I want everyone that's listening, and I hope there are men that are listening to this as well as women, you know that our position here with, uh, uh, with Hope and Healing is this, that domestic violence is not a woman's issue. It's a societal issue. It is a, it's a people's issue. It affects people from every walk of life. Because to say it's a woman's issue, then what are we saying about the young boy who's also being abused in a relationship through being exposed to it, being witness to it, oftentimes being also hit and abused directly, by this abuse. So it's not just a woman's issue, it's a societal issue. It is a spiritual issue. It's an issue that we must take up and recognize that in taking up, it's going to make a great difference, and we're going to make a difference in the lives of those that are impacted. So I want you to keep that in mind. We do have a caller that is waiting. Uh, we're going to bring you on in just a second, number ending in 6962. We'll get you on. But one of the things that is so important about this is that you've got to understand how long you know, when a kid or a person is exposed over a period of time, how long do they stay in this type of abusive relationship? And what is the impact of the long-term exposure to it? 
when the dynamics of uh, one's belief system is formed by what they see, whether it's the person that grows up in an abusive home, whether a person who have experienced abuse and it's become the norm, whether there's an individual who's dealing with a self-esteem issue, and as a result of the fact of always constantly being controlled, uh, the fact of attention, it may appear to be something uh, positive, but it's not. It is something very negative. So I want to continue to encourage tonight that as you look at these dynamics of abuse, that you got to understand that these are real things. Because the fact when children see things played out in front of them, they form their attitudes and their opinion comes as a result of this type of abuse. Many victims of abuse finally got out of it when they saw the impact directly on their children. But do we know the long-lasting effect of children being exposed to it? I was just reading a particular article here real recently, and I may have posted it on my, my uh, Domestic Violence It Is Your Business page, and what it dealt with was this particular phenomenon. Here was a young man who ended up paralyzed as a result of his mother's boyfriend. His mother's boyfriend was not only abusive, abusive to her, but his mother's boyfriend uh, literally abused her over and over again and as a result of it this young man ended up hurt by the hands of this perpetrator to the point that he suffered injury of his spine and ended up if you would uh paralyzed but his para- his paralysis did not stop him he did go on to live somewhat of a productive life recently dying but what i'm saying is that what happens when the children does get caught in the crossfire what happens when the fact of the young man ends up in jail because of the fact that he has stepped between the mother and the perpetrator did you not know that when we look at our juvenile justice system that when we look at those individuals that's incarcerated between the ages of uh 16 and all the way up to 22 years old, that the majority of them, nearly 58% of them are there because they either attempted to kill or kill their mother's perpetrator. Now I want you to let that sink in because here it is the fact of a child that is trying to intervene to now serve as a protector to he or she that should be protecting them. Oh, it's a real issue, people. It is not something that goes away simply because of the fact we remain silent. I encourage you to break the silence tonight. You can do so tonight, and I'm so glad that you will take the opportunity to do so. And if you're in an abusive situation right now, I encourage you to dial 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-3233. And I encourage you to do so, people, because it is serious. Your life or someone's life may depend on it. All right, we have a caller on the line. We want to welcome that caller tonight. A number in in six nine six two. Good evening and welcome to Hope and Healing. You're on the air. Good evening, Mr. Sickland. This is Gloria. Good evening, Gloria. How are you? I'm awesome. <laughs> Great. I'm like I love hearing that word. You're awesome. Tell us why you're awesome today. Um, I am. You know. Saturday was an awesome event, and I'm still getting um, feedback from, you know, everyone that came out, and um, they uh, said kudos to you because you're just a phenomenal person, and, um, you know, and they're they're willing to continue to help me in my journey, so, so, yeah, I'm just, um, everything is aligning, unto God's will, but I, my question tonight was, um, uh, and which was raised this Sunday, actually, um, how can men become more involved in um, 
in this journey as well. Well, that's a very good question. Go right ahead. I want to hear the end of it. Yeah, because um, what was raised was that sometimes men also suffer some forms of, you know, physical abuse as well as you, you know, were saying um, before in your, in your um, while you were expressing it, your your views and everything. So, but I want to know how can how can they really become involved, and how can they open up to where they can share their stories. Um, so they can heal as well. Well, that's a great question. I hope that everyone heard the question. I will repeat it and try to recapture it because it's a great mm-hmm. question, set of questions to ask. The question was, how can men become more involved in this movement as it relates to domestic violence? That's number one. And the second part of that question is, how can men have the platform to begin to share their abuse in a situation that happens? And I want to explain it to you from the perspective in which I have witnessed it in the way that it constantly is. I want to say something to you that when we begin to talk about domestic violence, we're talking about uh, a phenomenon in our country. And so there has been what I like to call the battered women's movement, which is the movement that actually began to bring to the forefront uh, the epidemic of domestic violence. But early in that movement, that movement oftentimes had an undertone that was shaped by actually extreme feminist women, and I will say extreme white feminist women, and their view was not just on the domestic violence, but their reasoning for domestic violence was, A, power and control, but it was power and control and male dominance. So the theme of it was the fact that our society set up patriarchal dominance patriarchal, uh, you know, dominance and the structure of things, how our society was, and many of these things were correct as far as how society was. We even look at the fact when we have injustices such as men uh, making more money per hour uh, than women who are doing the same work. Those are legitimate uh, discrepancies. Those are legitimate discrimination. But yet it's still they took the very broad stroke across the board, and what it did is that it definitely left an uh, overtone and undertone of the fact that all men were batterers and all men were controlling. And the reason why we have so much abuse is because of patriarchal dominance and structure of our society. So therefore, a lot of the early messages inside of the domestic violence movement actually sounded a lot like this. It sounded like individuals who, uh, you know, men were the bad guys. They were bad. All men were bad. They were particular. They were they were potential batterer if by virtue of being a male. So you can only imagine for men, they wasn't coming to the table when they were the one being beat up all the time. So even well-meaning men, and that's a term that I borrowed from uh, uh, from uh, Tony Porter, who's an uh, individual who's a great advocate inside of this movement. He's part of a national organization called A Call to Men. And the whole point of it is the fact that there are really good men out there that can make a big difference in this movement. Understand, by the very research that is done by the uh, the National Domestic Violence Organization, it says they're only between 15 to 20 percent of all men batter, between only 15 to 20 percent of men that batters. So that means there's between 80 and 85 that don't batter. So what are we doing with that 80 to 85? Are they on the sideline? Are they, uh, you know, sitting back being bystanders? And the question is yes. And they're they're there because oftentimes the whole the whole overtone about men. And I can tell you from personal experience, having done the work that I've done over years, my greatest 
opposition oftentimes have been the people within the movement because why? Because virtue, I'm a man. Don't look at my accomplishments. Don't look at the inroads that I've made. Don't look at the lives that I've helped save. Don't look at the people that have been in power. The fact that you're a man and we want to know why is it that you're even wanting to do this, and we dare don't want you to take this work from women because this is their plight. And we have to understand that we have to change that tone first and foremost. And then the other part of it is that it's taken so long to raise this issue about about women being abused and, and having laws changed that literally when you begin to utter the words that men are abused as well, you ultimately you get shut down a lot inside of a lot of circles because they say, well, hold up, but, but women are abused more than men, and we do know that. This is not a matter of saying, okay, we're abused more than you all are. It's a matter of saying that abuse itself it's wrong. The dynamic of abuse affects things. So when we talk about men, we now, men are dealing with that same dynamic that women did when this movement started. Men are feeling shame. Why? Because society say that men are supposed to be strong. Men are supposed to be. And you can fill in the blank. Men are supposed to be. And so when a man is not that, when a man is abused, whether physically or emotionally, Society look at them as being weak, so oftentimes they're not taken seriously. Oftentimes they're laughed at. So where do they turn? Did you realize that most shelters in this country, do, uh, there are no shelter for battered men? And that even with some of the uh, shelters across the country, what they'll tell you is that we do take men, and what they literally mean is that, yes, we will take men and put them up in a hotel somewhere. We'll put men away. Uh, we'll find a place for men. But there is no design for men because, once again, we don't want to admit the fact that men are really abused in that way. And if you go to children, uh, uh, the uh, Center of Disease Control, that's CDC, uh, 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 CDC.com, and you begin to look under domestic violence. It's interesting. I think it reads something about one out of every four women are abused in this country. But if you read further enough, you'll see that one out of every nine men are. But you never hear that being said publicly. Uh, you don't hear it said. And I have to say that even I don't talk about it a whole lot because it brings me to this, and I'll answer this uh, like this. It brings me to what happens in what we call societal norms or what society embraces. It is kind of like the phenomenon that we see now today. About a week ago, uh, there was a professional black athlete, six, I mean seven foot, who came out and, uh, and, and said that he was gay. He's an active player in the NBA, but he was gay. And so when he made that announcement, there was a lot of great people saying, congratulations, even uh, President Obama called and, uh, you know, former President Clinton. And all these people said, yes, great, we're, we're, we're very happy for your courage. But on the other side, when you had other people to say a detracting statement like, well, I don't know why would you go that route. You know, there are so many women here. Why would you want to do that? Or you had another gentleman, a personality in the sports uh, world, to say to him, well, my belief is this, that, you know, that this is not the way that God would have it to be. Those individuals were literally crucified. They was eaten up by the media. Why? Because they had an opposing view. And that's what often happens with men. When men do try to stand up and say things, you know, they're oftentimes, Eat up. They eat alive. It's like saying, don't you try to take on this victim slot. We will not let you be a victim. And the only way that we can change that is that people are going to have to speak truth, and we're going to have to encourage men to come forth, and we're going to have to understand that being a victim has nothing to do with your machoism or uh, whether you're not this or the other. Being a victim means that there's an individual that is exerting power and control uh, over this person's life. 
and that's what we have to do to make a difference. And I applaud you. And one of the great things I will say is the fact that you're at a place now that is so great because you're not being, if you would, tainted with all of the bureaucracy and and, and the things that go along with this movement. And that's where the real issue is and the real challenge. So I hope I kind of answered your question there. If not, we'll definitely take it up on the other side of the break. We're right there. We're a little bit behind on the break, but we're coming up. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I, this is your host, J.R. Fickman, and I'll see you at the other side of the break. Area code 323-784-9638. That's how you reach us. If you'd like to have something to say, simply hit the number one on your keypad, and we'll get you right in. All right, on the other side of the break, Hope and Healing, Journey to Wholeness. Open Healing, A Journey to Wholeness with J.R. Thicklin returns after this. Want to get in on the conversation? Call J at 323-784-9638. Radio and its staff and family encourage you to please let someone know if you're going through a domestic violence situation. If you know someone that's going through a domestic violence situation, please don't stand by and let it just happen. We simply cannot afford to tolerate this any longer. Call 800-799-7233, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 800-799-7233. It is your business. You can also connect with J.R. Dicklin at his Facebook group, which is Domestic Violence. It is your business. Check it out. Above life. Above your circumstances. You can soar. This is the one and only soar. And now, here's your host, J.R. Thicklin. And 
and welcome back to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I am your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so glad that you're with us on this marvelous Monday night and in the midst of a very intense discussion here as we deal with domestic violence. And one of the questions raised here was the fact of men involvement and what happens when men are, are victims of abuse and what is out there. What do we say? And I guess another question one might ask, you know, should we even care? You know, I do do society care as a whole, and we've tried to add to that and answer some things there. And I just want to bring Gloria back on to see Gloria. Did I shed any light there for you uh, with that particular answer, or, or do we need to dig a little deeper? No, yes, yes, you did. Um, you know, but um, the question was raised even before we had the um, conference this Saturday. You know, um, Pastor Chester had mentioned, you know. Well, how can men get involved? So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to raise this question <laughs> uh, Monday night. So, you know, on well, your, on your radio in, show. So. Yeah, men can get involved in a number of ways. And, uh, you know, definitely I, mm-hmm. I look forward to having a dialogue with uh, Pastor Chester about that and any other pastor leader mm-hmm. about that. There are a number of ways that men can get involved. But here's the thing that we have to understand inside of that dynamic is this. Mm-hmm. We have to get involved from the perspective of not just saying, okay, we need to be involved because we want y'all to know men are abused too. But we have to get involved mm-hmm. from the perspective of saying, listen, we are men and we we categorically object to and deny any form of domestic violence, any form of abuse. That's where the position that we have to come from, first and foremost there. And then secondarily, as men, we must begin to talk about those dynamics and where we are not only part of the problem, but where we are also on the other end of that issue as uh, being uh, uh, you know, victims of abuse. One of the things I constantly say is this that what we know is that there's great correlation between boys who grow up uh, witnessing domestic violence, living in an abusive home, and oftentimes they themselves becoming the abusers later on in life. Yes, that does happen, but it's not a guarantee. But let's deal with the side of it happening. So when we deal with boys that grow up in that type of situation and those type of homes, that means that there has to be some intervention there. There has to be some intervention that says this is not proper, this is not the way it's supposed to do, because their perception of women, their perception of themselves is formed very early on. That's why uh, we have to be very careful about even the music and the things that we allow our boys to be exposed to. When they're hearing women being called the B word and being called hoes and, and all those other things there, once again, derogatory terms, that is a problem with sometimes the freedom of expression. Uh, you hear people say, well, they just, you know, they just keep it real. I disagree. That's not keeping it real. You're polluting the airway with derogatory terms, things that we say about women. And then women, we have to be very, you, we have to be very careful there, too, because here we are with women who are chasing the dollar. Chasing a dime, they're ready. They're willing to be degraded. They're willing to be part of, uh, you know, uh, music videos that shows that degradation of uh, being objectified, only as sex objects and things of uh, uh, of that sort. And so, therefore, it continues to perpetuate that message. So, we have a lot to do inside of dealing with young men. And so, it starts off very early about men understanding who they are and understanding that being a man is not the ability to degradate women. It is not putting women down. It is not calling women bees and, and, and hoes and, and uh, sluts and, and, uh, and feeling that we have the right to dominate women in any sort, in any way. So, we have to begin that conversation from a foundation. 
you know, as men, we want to recognize that if we want to really ascribe to that title uh, that we are the men of the house and we are the priests of a home and all those things there, that begins with the fact of the honor that we give, not the accolades that we receive, first and foremost. For the Bible said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive and so that's where we have to start inside of that so i hope that i've answered that question today and uh we'll continue to <laughs> we'll continue to open up in that dialogue but you're on the air here with uh jr ficklin open yeah, healing yeah, uh journey okay. to wholeness and you can reach us at area code 323-784-9638 uh if you'd like to have a question or comment and like to share tonight simply hit the number one on your keypad that lets our producer know that you want to have something to say and we will get you on the airway tonight as we can continue to deal with this dynamic um we don't want to make it sound that it's easy to get out of an abusive relationship because it's not easy whatsoever it is very challenging there are many things that goes into that decision to leave and then even after making the decision to leave how do we leave how are we able to leave how are we able to make that difference that is really a real serious issue there and so uh it, 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 it requires so much there. People deal with their own uh, background. They deal with the fact of, well, I grew up without a father. I don't want my kids to grow up without a father. So what are they willing to endure and for what reason? So those become dynamics. Those are cultural dynamics where an individual feels like I simply want a different life for my child than what I had. And because I want that different life, this is what I want to do. I want you know, I want to see if I can make it work. So once again, the victim oftentimes finds themselves trying to do, quote, unquote, the right thing, uh, uh, trying not to upset uh, the partner, trying not to make waves, trying to do all the things that they can and uh, not realizing that it's really not them. It's really not them in this case. It is really dealing with the fact of that it is it is the perpetrator who have chosen to violate, who have chosen to abuse, who have chosen to continue to perpetuate this type of behavior. And we have to understand that behavior is, is very uh, detrimental. And I, I think we have to bring to the forefront that for many people that are in an abusive relationship, it's not always abusive. So that becomes a dynamic. In other words, they will say things like, well, it's not like they hit me all the time. It's not like uh, it happens every day. But, you know, it happens every now and then. And you would be amazed how in the in our daily in our daily walk, how many of us tolerate stuff because it doesn't happen all the time? How many people put up with things because it simply doesn't happen every day? We all do. Because, in fact, what we say is that there is some relief sometime, and it seems like, you know, there are better days than, uh, you know, there are better days at times than other days. And so, therefore, people do endure abuse. They endure these type of things happening to them. And so all those dynamics come up there. They come there. And then when people begin to also weigh it against things such as, you know, I know that we have our disagreements, and I know that it gets this way sometime, but for the most part, we're okay. So the dynamics look different for other for, for each individual, where one person may say it's time for me to get out, another person say, well, I can handle it. Well, for one person who may stay in because of the fact they may economically be dependent upon this abuser, uh, their partner there, uh, you know, wherefore there may be another person who has a little bit more economic independence and they have the ability or they feel that they have the support to be able to get out of it without suffering. So those are just a few dynamics that are there that makes a difference in the way that individuals uh, – 
decide whether to stay in a relationship or leave it. So having said that, I just simply want to say to you that it's not always easy, but when you are ready to get out, 1-800-799-7233, 1-800-799-SAFE. You want to get out because no one deserves to be abused, and that is the national hotline number. And so as I share that with you today, I just simply want you to recognize that uh, abusers very seldom just stop abusing without there being some intervention there. And that brings us back to something that I think is very, very critical, and it's very critical because of the fact of, of who do they listen to or uh, where our belief systems are formed. And that's why when we begin to bring in other uh, institutions, when we begin to bring in other uh parts of our life that makes a uh, big impact on how we decide things, that's why the church is so important. Belief system, and we have to use the word belief system, belief. What do people believe when people come to church? Uh, what do we preach? What is coming across the pulpit? Are we saying that it's all right to be abusive? Do we do we overcompensate or do we, if you would, uh, do we not do justice with the scripture? Do we say things like, uh, uh, that a woman uh, is supposed to submit to her husband and be obedient to her husband, according to Ephesians 5 and 22. And we forget that the scripture just before it, Ephesians 5 and 21, says submitting yourselves one to the other. And so what does that word submit really mean? And how are we as leaders in the church, how are we conveying that message? What are we saying? Are we participating in this whole farce and this whole erroneous doctrine that for some reason give men the idea or give men the green light to feel that they have a right to treat a woman a certain way, and we, and we, we close it by saying, well, she, if she did what she was supposed to do, he wouldn't do that. Well, that is nowhere connected in God's word. Because God is very clear. The word is very clear on those type of things there. His word is clear inside of how to treat uh, one another. It said, listen, not only love her as uh, Christ loved the church, but it says that, you know, you treat her like you would treat your own body. No man goes around hurting or injuring his own body. And so those things are very important inside of the whole dynamics of what uh, what the word is calling for and what we must do in terms of it. And when we do not look at it in the way that it's supposed to be, then what we're doing is that we're finding a way to use the Bible to justify abuse. Erico 323-784-9638. Erico 323-784-9638. That's the way you reach us here. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to hold us. I am your host, J.R. Ficklin. And if you'd like to join us tonight, just simply hit the number one on your keypad. We invite your questions, your comments. We invite those things. We invite your testimony. We invite you to share tonight because it's very critical. It's very critical. Even in the work that we've done inside of our research, inside of our preparing and writing articles and writing the book that we're writing, it is comprised of much uh, interaction with individuals that uh, were members of faith, uh, individuals that were in the church, individuals that have dealt with abuse and did not get the support in which they needed from the church, did not get the things that they needed from their leaders. As a matter of fact, oftentimes re-victimized because of the fact that they they uh, may have mentioned that they were being abused and the individual that did the abuse was very well known, very well respected, uh, very well accepted, uh, held uh, various positions, and, and oftentimes the victim was told to go back and pray just a little harder or go back and learn how to be a good wife 
and they never address the abuse. They never address the fear. They never address the, the, the victimization. And therefore, many people left out feeling that God had abandoned them when it wasn't necessarily that God had abandoned them, but it was the fact that there was not necessarily that place that we needed to go. And I call it the all-the-way place where we need to go to make a difference inside of making uh, the victim feel that they were heard and that they were important enough. And that's so that's what we have to address. Area code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That's how to reach us. Hit the number one on your keypad. We're gonna go right now to caller uh number ending in four one three zero. We welcome you tonight to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. Caller, you are on the air tonight. Welcome to Hope and Healing. Thank you. I, I like to share what something that happened to me personally. Sure. Um, I find out about, okay, my husband is on Social Security Disability. I don't have an income. I take care of him. Uh-huh. But what he doesn't realize, he is the breadwinner, and that income is support, support both of us. He was using the income to help support the woman next door, and he thinks I'm supposed to accept that. Okay. And inside of doing but, uh, that, just, go ahead. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's unacceptable. He said, that's my money. He said, I'm grown. I do what I want to do. And he thinks that's his money. But what he doesn't realize, according to the law, disability is not the same as Social Security. Disability is not the same as Social Security. He's supposed to be the breadwinner, so he's supposed to be supporting the household. <laughs> but the money is going next door. And this household is going without. And so that, but and he thinks he's justified in doing that. And he but supports. I've gone to a lawyer. I've gone to a lawyer, and I explained the situation. So I will be getting. They will be cutting me a check from his check. Well, it's not like that you made the proper uh, the proper responses to the situation there, because in this sense here, you're basically saying that, in, in, to a certain degree, there is an abuse of the finances that is happening, uh, the finances right. that is there to take care of the household, but those finances are going out of the window to support someone outside of the household, and the right. justification is, it's my money. And so many times, and so many times, when we begin to see control, and I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up because here's the dynamic: not once that you mentioned physical abuse, and this is what I want people to hear, is that it doesn't have to always be physical abuse here. What we see here is still a form of manipulation, control, and really abuse of the finances in terms of this. And the justification is that it's mine. Well, what are we violating? Well, we're violating we're violating a law. We're violating a marital law in terms of the fact that, you know, that you two are one and the fact of the matter that this is your household and that when this happens, the word mine must begin to decrease and decrease. It's not a matter of this is mine, mine, mine. No, it is ours, 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 and we must first and foremost start off by taking care of ours before we can take care of anything else. But I, I salute you because the fact that you did not 
just uh, continue to take it, that you did take the next step. You found out more about what was your rights up under the law, and not only did you find out what was your rights up under the law, you began to take the next action step, and I salute you for that. And those of you that are listening tonight, and perhaps you may be in this situation, know someone that is, you have to take the next step. Being silent, standing in place, twilling thumbs will not make it go away. You have to take the next step. Call, I appreciate you definitely for sharing that with us today, and I'm glad that you, uh, you know, that you didn't sit around and allow this just to continue uh, to uh, go on without you taking the next step. Thank you so very, very much for sharing with us tonight. Wow, I tell you, great calls tonight. Area code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That's how you reach us. Area code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, our journey to wholeness. Here, uh, we have about thirty five minutes left in the broadcast tonight. Uh, if you'd like to have a question, a comment, or like to participate in this dialogue tonight, just simply hit the number one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you want to be on the air, and we will bring you on tonight. And uh, gladly to have you. Inside of the call on the night, we have a call in in one five one three number in in one five one three. Welcome tonight to Hope and Healing: A Journey to Wholeness. You're on the air with J.R. Thicklin. Thank you, thank you. I'm just listening in, and I'm so glad that you brought up a lot of good points as far as um, being abused, especially within the church, and how the church view you. And um, there's so much I can say on that. But I just wanted to just add a little spice to the fire. <clears throat> I'm posing a question to the ones out there with, um, I think her name was Joyce, who were saying about how can men get involved. Well, my question is, what if there was an abuser and he cleaned up his act and he wanted to, let me see, um, be like one of the greatest advocates. How do you think society would see him and his former self as being a woman beater or or even take it further than that, um, sexual assaulting men, women or whoever or however it went down. But um how would we receive someone like that who has um drastically turned his life around and is on the the path of righteousness, and I mean, just out there, just going full at it, and being one of the greatest advocates in the world. Now, the thing is, my, like my question was, how would we receive someone like that? Would do, do you think we would kind of reject him, or downplay him, or just shun him because of his past? Well, here's the thing. I think that when you ask that question collectively, uh, we must understand that collectively we can answer it, but we can answer that question individually. And then it goes back to a word that oftentimes is not necessarily entertained amongst the mainstream domestic violence movement. What do I mean by that? When we start using words like forgiveness, you know, uh, oftentimes the reason why that word is often shunned in the mainstream domestic violence movement because there's been attempts to get the victim to just forgive the individual. No, just forgive them uh-huh. and go on. Let God do it. Forgive them. Now, I totally believe forgiveness is in order, but I do believe that you can't force forgiveness. 
I believe that forgiveness is something that must be worked inside of an individual. A person must reach a place within themselves to understanding the power of forgiveness because forgiveness is not really necessarily about letting that person off the hook, but forgiveness is taking yourself out of the bondage of what that person has done to you. On the other hand, we have to consider this inside of every individual step. I know victims today, and they're now survivors, so let me make that perfectly clear. They are survivors inside of domestic violence. However, inside of their survivor mode, they may not have gone to the place where they have forgiven completely the perpetrator. Well, that's part of that journey to healing. They will get to a place where they will forgive that individual, and that's when they reach that place to understand that by forgiving them is not necessarily saying, I I don't realize what you did. By forgiving them doesn't mean that, okay, I'm giving you a free ride to just do what you want to do. But by forgiving them, I am saying I release you and I release myself from the bondage and the pain of what you've done to me. Because unforgiveness does just the opposite. When we do not forgive someone, what happens is that we hold, we are holding our own self hostage because we are holding ourselves hostage. We we have we have frozen that person in time. Uh, we have frozen them at the point of their act, their act of abuse or whatever their act may have been. We have frozen them in time. But the only person that's really stuck is ourselves. That individual will go on with their life. Uh, my niece have a way of saying that unforgiveness is it's like a person drinking. It's like a, a a person drinking poison but waiting on the other person to die. No, you you, can, you okay. can't be drinking poison waiting on another person to die. So to answer your question, it, it's, it has to be an individual thing, and it's a real good question. How do we? How do people now and uh, treat someone who is a former? Uh, perpetrator who's now um, turned their lives around and they want to do advocacy work. Well, this is what the practicum is, and this is what I've seen. I do know a couple of people that actually fit that bill. Uh, they were perpetrators. They themselves had, had gone, went through batteries intervention classes. Uh, they uh, was a nemesis to the judge and the court system, and to the judge got serious and said, you need to go through this, and if you violate this, uh, greater things are going to happen, and these individuals took it seriously. And they begin to understand the error of their ways. They begin to understand their mindset and their behavior. And they had to work that situation out to become uh, reacclimated, to become, uh, you know, more forthright thinking and understanding the the the, uh, the damage that they were doing. And as a result, a few of those individuals end up becoming very great uh, uh, facilitators for domestic violence batters intervention group. Now, did people readily accept them? No. But what I do know is this. That in time, with time and consistency, people have a tendency to forgive overall. Perfect example. We see it happen all the time within the political system. We see it happen all the time in the celebrity market. We see individuals that literally do things that are absolutely just horrendous. You know, you, I mean, you're looking in South Carolina right now. Here's an individual running for the state office, but this is the same individual who held a state office and uh, literally lost it in shame because of the fact took money, the taxpayer money, uh, went on trips to his mistress that lived in Argentina somewhere and end up, you know, once again coming back to do what? Ask for forgiveness, no longer married to his wife, now engaged to that same mistress there, but it's back in the political system. Well, who's back in this individual? A group of people that somehow or another forgave them. And if we're really going to ever see progress made, 
People may not like the word, but forgiveness is going to be the word that's going to have to happen. And we're going to have to learn to trust by consistency. This is what I always will say. There's a scripture that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And indeed we have. And what I do know is this, that if one can live truth consistently, the truth will set them free. If they can live truth consistently. In other words, it doesn't matter what you have done in time past, but now I see you living truth consistently, and what happens? Now you're set free. You now have proven. The world uses the term people reinvent themselves all the time, and we have to allow people to reinvent themselves. Now what does that mean to an individual as far as a victim? I never encourage a victim just to trust someone who just says, look here, I've changed. You've got to see evidence. You've got to see fruit. You've got to see truth. And you've got to see it over a period of time in consistency. Because an individual simply by going through batteries intervention class doesn't mean they've changed. I don't care if they got the certificate and the T-shirt. It doesn't mean that they've changed. What you're going to notice, what's going to be your, 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 your litmus test of change is time, behaviors, and action. And I believe that over a period of time when people see time, behavior, and action of consistency of change, then people more readily to embrace. We see it all the time. We have ministers who fall. They fall from grace. But they repent. They ask for forgiveness. And with time, consistency, people learn to forgive, and they embrace them. So I hope that somewhat answered that question there in terms of that, and I think those are the things that have to happen. Okay. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness, area code 323-784-9638. Uh, stay tuned. Hang on. We have just about 25 minutes left in the program tonight, but I'm coming up on a break tonight. And right on the other side of the break, if you desire to have something to say, just uh, hit the number one on your keypad, and we'll be glad to get you on. You're listening to J.R. Fixon, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I'll see you on the other side of the break. Been healing a journey to wholeness with J.R. Thicklin is coming back right after this. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio LLC. This is the one and only Soul. Depression, sleep disturbance, 
anxiety, flashbacks, and other emotional distress. If you or someone that you know is a victim of domestic violence, or if you think someone is, reach out to them. If you are a victim, reach out to somebody. You can call the National Hotline right now at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. If you didn't have a chance to write that number down, call Jay Thickler right now at 1-323-784-9638. Speak to Jay right now at 323-784-9638. And now, Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, continues with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Is it high or low? 
Well, that's a very loaded question. I'm going to answer this to my best of my ability. Three things. You, you, your caveat was the fact, what is the uh, success rate or the probability that an abuser can change with proper intervention? And this is where the, the dynamics opens up so greatly. Because if I were to tell you that all across America we have what we call batter's intervention program, majority of them are based upon a 26-week model or some places extended to 52-week that was developed in Duluth, it's, uh, in Duluth, Minnesota. And it's based upon the whole dynamic of power and control, and it shows the dynamics of the power control wheel and all those things that are involved. Now, men go through those programs, and not all men are successful. In many ways, the recidivism of those programs is, is, is kind of high in many ways. So based upon that model, you would say, well, you know, um, you're not having an 80% success rate in most cases or 85%, although there are individual places that may boast that they've had good success rate. However, you've got to understand the dynamics of which they take the class. When men are court-ordered and they're made to go to these classes, oftentimes the first six, seven weeks they're there out of protest. They don't want to be there. They're going there because the court has ordered them to go there, and if they successfully uh, complete it, guess what happens? If they successfully complete it, then they, uh, their cases are often what they call no cross, uh, 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 no cross, meaning that they're now going to be basically thrown out as long as they successfully complete this uh, batter's intervention with no other incidents of violence. And so does that mean that they've learned anything, or did they simply endure the 26 weeks? And so I have to say that with this, the first precursor for an individual to have a change of behavior is, number one, is that they must have a change of mind. They have to have a change of mind about how they see themselves, how they see the individual that they have uh, have abused. And so when does it work? It works when that individual wants to change, when that individual is a participant in their change, when that individual is willing to comply with the things uh, that, that, that is uh, – prescribed there in order to bring about those changes, and they must be, once again, consistent with it and persistent. In that case, when those interventions are there, along with proper support, then the probability of an individual changing can be high. I am reluctant to put a percentage on it, but I, I can say that I have seen men change, but it's with the proper intervention, the proper consistency in the long term, the long term uh uh, the long-term uh, redundancy, the long-term uh, practice of the modification techniques that are there. And it does start with, number one, admitting that they are an abuser and not saying, well, I'm not an abuser and denying that because uh, in denial you're basically saying that I don't see myself for who I am and for what I've done. So the probability of change is great with the proper combination of, number one, acknowledgement, the desire to change, the application of the behavior modification, and having the proper support there. Those are the things. And the fifth thing I would add to that is that an individual must want to change for themselves, not simply because they want to hold their marriage together, hold their uh, relationship together, but they need to change for the very sake of themselves. Now, did that answer your question? It might not have been, you know, I would love to be able to say, you know, 100%, but no. There's no way to say 100%. Just like the fact that we don't see 100% a victim oftentimes can get out of an abusive relationship, and she's out of that one. 
but she ends up in another one, maybe with a different person, but she's back there. And so there's so many dynamics that are there. But I, I do want to take uh, I do want to take up the the, the, the what you pro, what you actually propose is is once a, an abuser always an abuser. I can tell you that was a propaganda that was actually sold for many years. But as people of faith and as a man of faith, I can't truly embrace that totally. For me to say that an individual cannot change would be de- would be me denying the whole redemption story. I would be denying the fact that a person can be changed. My whole story of grace and salvation is about redemption, being changed. Once was blind, but now I see. You know, once was lost, but now I'm found. And so I have to believe that an abuser, if they truly want to be saved and changed and truly change, it, it starts with them not only having the desire to do so, but then acknowledging that they have this issue and willing to go the next step of being able to apply and adhere to those things that are going to bring them deliverance. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a person who says, I want to stop smoking cigarettes. Well, you can't say you want to stop smoking cigarettes if you've got a card everywhere that you turn. You've got a card in the car. You've got a card you know, in the cabinet at home. You've got a card up under the bed. You've got a pack you know, in the car. Uh, that does not give any indication that you want to change, you know. Mm-hmm. But when one wants to change, they're going to do the things that they need to do to change. Mm-hmm. And they can make that difference by going that route to apply themselves and understand that they're not only just, uh, they're not just adhering to the law of the land, but they're adhering to a higher law. I hope that kind of answers your question. Uh, did you want to piggyback on that for any reason? Yes, do you think that change is possible without that man actually receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? Well, that, that's an interesting thing. Can that person change without them receiving uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I'm going to have to answer that in two parts. Number one, I'm going to say that n- not just receiving him as their Lord and Savior, but allowing him to live in them and through them. Because there are many men that are abused that are in the church who, quote, unquote, who already professes to have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what do I say to those men? That, that that they profess it, they're in the church, and yet it's still they're abusing, and they're abusing behind false pretenses, behind closed doors, uh, and behind the smile on their face, behind the hallelujahs, behind the songs that they sing, and they're still abusive. Now, there's, there, there's two different dynamics. Is that individual abusive, and they are basically being manipulative and deceitful, and they know that they're abusing, and then therefore just putting on a public front? Or are these individuals dealing with a deep-seated behavior that they need to be delivered from? You know, but in order to be delivered, it's still start with the same thing: acknowledging that they are an abuser, acknowledging that they are that they have perpetrated, and going to the next level. So those things are very important. So now, when we say if they receive the Lord Jesus as the Lord and Savior, can they change? Yes, they can. But this. Uh, uh, you know, but this is something that is uh, 
continuous. It is a walk. It is a walk. It is a journey that they have to walk. It's not a one-time, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. They have to continue to walk this out. And when they continue to walk this out, you know what they're going to experience? They're going to experience liberation, but they're going to want, they, but they've got to want to experience it. You know, I can't say that I want to be free, but I'm married to my bondage. I can't say that I want to be free, and yet still I, I, I'm still using the same tools that have held me in bondage. And so that's where the dynamic is there, where we must do the right thing, and we must cover ourselves. And you know what? We have to have a change of mindset. You know, we behave, because we, we behave the way that we do because we think the way that we do. Our behavior is directly reflected of what we think or what our belief systems are. And so once again, if my belief system is one in which, uh, uh, you know, if my belief system is one in which I believe that a man is supposed to have dominant control over a woman, then guess what? I'm going to act that way. When I deal with a woman, I'm going to always feel like I have a right to not only tell her what to do, but but even emphatically and, and very dogmatically uh, have that way of just directing her the way I want to, where I don't give in, I don't ever listen to her point, I don't value her opinion, I don't value I don't value her input. So those are things that happen inside of these things. And so for change to happen, it has to be a real change. And let me say this to you tonight that is so incredibly important, because you bring up a point, and this is what I try to do when I'm trying to help churches establish domestic violence ministries uh, to understand the dynamic. That is the reason why the church is so vitally important. See, in the secular world, there are many places there for victims to go. Domestic violence centers there. And most of the time, the secular world is only concerned about what? Saving the victim. But as believers in the church, we should not only be concerned about saving the victim and making sure the victim is safe and protected, but we need to also hold the perpetrator accountable. We need to hold them accountable, and then we need to be concerned about that perpetrator also getting the help they need. Now, that doesn't mean that the victim is held hostage until the perpetrator gets right, because at no given time do we say, look here, you know, uh, go back to him. Uh, at no given time do we say, go back to this individual, come on, give him another chance. That is not mine or any person who is who is skilled, who is uh, who understands this. That's not our place to tell an individual, give them another chance, go back to them. Because once again, that individual must have seen a demonstrable amount of consistency, uh, change of lifestyle, in other words, have seen the fruit to show that this individual has made those changes, and they have to trust that and trust God inside of that as they prayerfully pray about it. So there are times that, perp- that victims may leave a perpetrator, and there are times they may return to them. But that has to be based upon the fact they do know what to look for. They need, don't, the victims do need to know what to look for. You need to look for more than someone who comes out just quoting Scripture who continue to regurgitate scripture and, and, and religious jargon, you need to see a demonstrable life. You need to see where there's changes in that temperament, in that behavior, changes in that position, changes in the way that they uh, uh, entreat you, because that is where you're going to see the fruit. Did I answer your question tonight? Oh, yes, completely. 
Well, I'm so glad that I did. I, I do my best and, and inside of that, and I'm glad when when uh, callers propose questions like that because, of fact, a lot of this is based upon our own research, our, the things that we've done, the research of others, those of us and that, that are people of faith that have dealt with uh, individuals that are abusers or people that have been victims, and that's why the dynamics is so incredibly different. I tell people all the time, when we begin to deal with individuals in the church who have gone through uh, domestic violence, it may look a little different because there's so much more involved. What do I mean by that? That there's their faith involved. It's their belief system involved. It's their fellowship that is involved. It is the way that they see God that is involved because oftentimes when there's been a, a crisis in a person's life, there's also been a crisis in their faith. And so they got to, to figure out, you know, why did God allow this to happen to me? Or is this God's way of having me to suffer? And so people throw around scriptures, oftentimes out of context, uh, trying to justify, you know, what's happened to them. But that's, I start with this. God is love. That's who he is. He's love. And God has not ordained for any victim to be a victim of domestic abuse. Not at all. He suffered for us. And that's the thing I tell people when I hear even pastors oftentimes give bad advice. And they say to the victim, many of the afflictions are the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of all. Well, that's a great scripture, but that scripture does not apply to that. That's not what that scripture means whatsoever. No, not at all. The suffering that Jesus did was the suffering that was wielded by the Father. He gave his life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, his was voluntary. It was part of the commission. There's not one victim whose suffering is part of the commission. It's not what God gave. When we see abuse and violence happening, we know that this is the work of the enemy. And because it is the work of the enemy, we must renounce it, we must grab hold of it, and we must pull it down, we must break the silence, and we must begin to reach out and provide the vehicle that people are not suffering any longer, children are no longer suffering, families are no longer suffering, and in and, and doing so, we can see our communities heal and whole. I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight, callers here tonight that are listening. Those of you that are listening by way of the Internet radio, we welcome your comments. We welcome your questions. We welcome your correspondence. You can reach us at jficklin at soulofamericaradio.com. That's the letter J, T-H-I-C-K-L-I-N, at soulofamericaradio.com. That is the way you reach us today. Listen. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Why don't you use your Facebook page to encourage someone to listen to us every Monday night, nine nine o'clock central, nine o'clock Eastern time, eight o'clock Central time, uh, six o'clock on the uh, West Coast. That's how you can reach us. And those in the Mountain Time Zone, we're on at seven there. You can reach us. We're generally here for an hour and thirty minutes, unless sometime it really just gets really uh, tremendously uh, fruitful. And at that point in time, we will extend our time on. Listen, we have less than even three minutes without going a message there. Um, uh, as we get ready to leave, I encourage you. I'd love to hear from you. 
just email me, jficklin at soulofamericaradio.com, and I'll be glad to correspond with you. Go to our web uh, page there on Facebook, uh, Domestic Violence, it is your business. If you are not a member, join. Go to our other site there, our affiliated site there with Destiny by Choice 2 or Destiny by Choice Fellowship. That's how you can reach great words of encouragement, inspiration that is there to uh, to not only encourage you along the way, but guidance, but a place that you can also share as well. And I'm just very glad for for Nick and Diane and all the rest of the other administrators there that make sure that that page is up and going. So, people, I pray that tonight has been a great night for you. Listen, let's pray for a victim of domestic violence, someone that is abused. I want to end tonight's show with just a really quick word of prayer, and I hope that you would just pray with me on tonight. Father, we thank you tonight for your love and your kindness. We thank you for your manifold wisdom and your grace. We thank you because you love us more than life itself. And even as we come tonight, we pray for those all over the world, those that might be listening right now, whether by Internet or listening by phone, God, those that have dealt with the, uh, uh, the, the, the pain of abuse and rejection, the pain of loss, the pain of, uh, of abandonment, the pain of God of being victimized. I pray today, God, that you would touch them with a supernatural love. I pray today, God, that you would touch them and you would heal them where they hurt and that you would deliver them from the pain and the agony, God. I pray for that victim today and her children who have found themselves on the run, who is hurting and feel misunderstood and feel that no one loves them. God, I pray today, God, that you would show yourself strong and mighty in their lives today. I pray tonight that, God, that you would be that place where they could come and they could just fall out before your feet. They don't have to wear a mask any longer. They don't have to be masqueraded. They don't have to pretend. But in you, God, you said that it's in our weakness is your strength made perfect. So it's our prayer tonight that you would heal and that, God, that you would bring forth healing in their lives. And, Father, I pray for that perpetrator. I pray for he or she who is that perpetrator, who they themselves in many cases are victims themselves, victims of their own exposure, of their own childhood, of, of their belief system being tainted and shaped by abuse and tragedy and chaos, God. But I pray for deliverance for them today in the name of Jesus. And so even now, God, I pray that you bring healing across the nation, healing across the airway. I pray that you would reach and you would invade their yesterday and that you would heal them from the inside out, that their lives would not be the same, that even those that have felt that they were stuck and they were in bondage to the pain, the hurt, the rejection of their past, that tonight, God, that you bring them out and you deliver them and you give them, Lord God, the victory in all things. Bless tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, until next week, this is J.R. Ficklin, and I am inviting you to share the word. This is Hope and Healing, a journey to hold us, and I'm so glad that you've taken the time to be with me tonight. And until next time, you be blessed. I'd like to hear from you. Jay Ficklin at soulofamericaradio.com. I love to hear from you, your letters, your comments. Listen, let's get this movement started. Let's begin to change our world one family at a time, one mic at a time, one office at a time, one neighborhood at a time, one room at a time, from your house to the White House, from the church house to the outhouse, from the schoolhouse to the lighthouse. Let's make a difference today. Have a great one. Thank you for being with us. Stop playing these games. We need.
My heart's torn to pieces. It's my own. 